You're listening to The Uncommon Podcast, where we celebrate the stories of men and women who are living uncommon lives. These individuals pursue excellence and purpose in their relationships and work. They optimize their health and stewardship, and they embody victorious vision and fervent faith. Be inspired and encouraged to follow your own uncommon path and live a life of authenticity, accountability, and adventure. You are listening to The Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Philip. Hey, I'm Ryan. Thanks for tuning in. We have a really good show for you today. Not just good, it's great. Downright awesome. I'm going to go to the bio because I can't wait to get our guest on. The one and only Ian Nelson Johnson is a licensed psychologist and owner of Ames Mind Body Center in Ames, Iowa. Married to the love of his life, Christina, and they have two beautiful children. Loves to make memories, loves live music, loves romance, fantasy novels. There you go. Uh, Amazing spike ball player and the... (laughs) (laughs) winner of the second annual the fraternity weekend ian nelson johnson welcome to the show it is an honor and a pleasure gentlemen (laughs) (laughs) i gotta just say one of my favorite human beings is ian and the amount of if i was going to give him one word it can't just be one word it's Mm. full throttle it's hyphenated that's a pretty much a good description of ian uh, I will. I just want to quickly just tell the listeners how we met because it's one of my favorite Please. stories. And because you and I are such close friends, I feel like it's kind of interesting. My family was at this park, a state park close to our house. Probably, honestly, it's about 35 minutes away. It's called Ledges State Park. And I had a spike ball shirt on. I loved a spike ball. You heard it in the bio. So does Ian. But we were hiking just as a family and we had a slack line out So my whole family was just kind of playing on the slack line. And out of nowhere, the woods, my friends, Ian (laughs) and Christina emerge, (laughs) truly emerge. His first question to me was, because I think I said hi, like, hey, yeah, hi. He's like, dude, you spike? Bruh. And I was like, oh, I I spike. And if you call it spike, so do you. Yeah, Yeah, you know. Uh, And so, yeah, right. (laughs) The backstory was... I had a spike ball tournament coming up and I had introduced this sport to many of my friends and I didn't know who to pick out of my friends. And so immediately guess who I ask? I'm going to guess Ian. Yeah. My new, my new friend Ian that nice. spiked Got it right. and uh, sure enough, we uh, played in a tournament and it was an absolute dynamic team. I'll just say it right now. Amazing. It was so good. And, it was so good. Did we get third or did we not get Poetry third? Poetry in motion. It doesn't matter say? what we got, but it was amazing. Yeah. And I felt like we had just a, a friendship from there on out. And we've been hanging out ever since. Ian, thank you so much for being on the show and imparting your wisdom on us and our listeners. How are you doing? You guys, I'm doing really well. I love I love hearing that story from Philip. Um, it was such a, a, a true synchronicity, you know, that... That was a time when Spike Ball, you know, it wasn't on Shark Week yet or Shark Tank, whatever that show was. Yeah. It was kind of in its infancy. And to see somebody wearing a shirt was, it was like immaculate. Like I had, I, at that point I had to say something <laughs> whether Philip or not wanted me to talk to him. It was going to happen. <laughs> and I wanted you to talk to me. You, you and Christina look like people that you just want to hang out with. And it was true. It was true. So. Spiking before it was cool. 
That's right. So we are talking about the pillar holistic health and being a mental therapist like you are, we knew it was so important to have somebody with your credibility on the show to be able to talk about this. I'm not going to say epidemic, but man, I just feel like there's many people out there that are struggling Mm -hmm. and and just and I'd love you to just speak into that. Maybe I'd love to talk at some point in the show today about what are some warning signs that we can even like kind of give some self diagnosis or self analyzing of ourselves of like hey, maybe we're not in the best place. Uh, some tools that maybe you can give us would love to hear your wisdom on this. Yeah, I I I'm, don't think the epidemic the word epidemic is too far of a stretch. Like I, I really don't. Um the pandemic put gasoline on a fire that was already kind of, I think, pretty strong or raging. Um, and so the, the idea of mental health being a topic that we need to talk about is something that excites me. In a way, I don't necessarily want want us to have to talk about it, but that's the place that we're at. Like this, this should be a part of our lives. It should be a part of our daily conversations in a way that's healthy, that's open, that's welcoming and not something that we have to hide um, in the slightest. So I'm excited to do yeah, this with like you. All. Yeah, we're excited to dig into. And yeah, even just kind of how you touched on, like bringing it into the light can kind of help remove the stigma that maybe is around it. If, if Philip can attest, I like to do my research and try, oh, to, try to do some deep cut questions. I just feel like that's how I, I pay homage to our guests. I think our show is way better because you do it. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm just going to say it right now. So I will confess, I was on the website doing a little digging. Um, Please. And came across uh, something called eye movement desensita- desensitization and reprocessing, also known as EMDR, mm-hmm. not to be confused with. EDM, electronic dance music. So <laughs> very, very different things. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would just love for you to kind of talk because you use that treatment method with some of your clients. Can you kind of talk about like what is EMDR? How does it work? How does it help people? Sure, I can, I can absolutely start there. So uh, it was first discovered almost by accident with veterans. Um, they found that when veterans who were racked with severe PTSD were retelling their stories while watching someone's hand go back and forth, that their symptoms drastically reduced in ways that they had never seen before. And so then they threw just millions and millions of dollars of research into it. And it's become one of the pillars of, I'd say, really quality trauma treatment um, for a therapist today, it, it in a very powerful way allows us to reprogram our brains to integrate memories that trauma has fractured. Um, without getting too neuropsyche, when we experience trauma, and I can we can define trauma in so many different ways, but something that has had a, a significant negative impact on your life that continues to reemerge, whether that's memories, thoughts, feelings, it just does not, you don't shake it. Um, When those things happen to us, our brains literally encode the information differently. And so what you would encode for your sixth birthday, you know, is a typical memory. What you would encode when you witness a terrible car crash is a very different system. It's your kind of reptilian brain. 
Um, and so it's not able to transition into long-term memory. And so what EMDR does is it breaks that down and it allows the brain to go back fully online um, through bilateral, bilateral processing, which is just essentially helping the brain communicate back and forth, left and right, which is what the eye movements or they use light bars or buzzers. Um, it's, an, it's an extremely powerful healing modality. It's one that I almost swear by at this point. Um, and I've seen wow. people heal in ways, you guys, that, um, you know, they would have walked into my office and said, look, I've tried everything. Um, I've gone through X, Y, and Z, so much trauma, nothing's worked. And we do this. And after a couple weeks or months of doing it, they walk out of my office and are they perfect? No, but have they healed in ways that they can really look and talk about and move through stuff that has been horrific in their past. Yes, they can. So, wow. That's life giving. If yeah. that's not something that kind of gets you excited, I don't know what will. And honestly, like I do have a heart for people, Ian, you and I have just talked about this this morning. I have a heart for people, but getting into trauma day in and day out, patient after patient, like kudos to you, brother, for just being one of those people that can help people out of this and mm -hmm. also staying healthy yourself. Because yes. I think there's a lot of therapists out there that get caught up in like caring so much that it's almost weighing them down. Yes. So how do, one, I want to know what got you excited about mental health from a long time ago when you were just a wee little lad? In the woods. <laughs> yeah. Waiting for our relationship to fall. Yeah. <laughs> Um, first of all, thank you. And I do think it's a really hard job. And someone once defined vocation to me as like who you are happening in the world. And that feels like a very good fit for me as a psychologist. It, it you know, what accountants get jazzed about makes me want to literally curl up in a ball and go <laughs> under a blanket. But, you know, someone sitting down with me and literally talking to me about the stuff that they struggle with the most, that helps me. Like, I feel alive when people talk to me about that, mm. I feel connected and engaged. And part of me thinks that's just how I was made. And then another part of that is, you know, that nature versus nurture. I think it's both. Um, so to get, to answer your question, um, like how did I come to this? A lot of I me mean, in a super nutshell, um, I think our greatest strengths can be grown from some of our greatest wounds. Um, and so for me, growing up, I was a really sensitive kid. I like emotionally sensitive. I was just attuned to stuff. I was I was pretty quick to tears. Um, I felt like I mm. was very like drawn to kind of deeper conversations earlier in life. And I think that was supported in my household. It was not supported in my peer group, especially as a as an emerging adolescent. So I was also a really good athlete. And when the, the genuine parts of me hit the sports field, um, though, the, those were kind of torn to shreds. So like my sensitivity, my kind of penchant to be open and connected to my emotions, um, my friends would, at least people who I thought were my friends at that time, kind of really made me feel like shit, frankly. Um, yeah. And so it, it became this part of me that I thought you guys was, you know, I had a lot of shame around it. Um, and shame is what we hide, repress or deny about ourselves. And so I, I 
through adolescence is like i can't i can't show this part of myself this this leads to rejections mm. leads to me being seen as unworthy so i just cut it off um mm. and then proceeded to engage in a lot of my young adulthood and just trying to hide that part of myself and be accepted um became mm. a class clown did anything i could for attention um became a, a quasi bully uh, to get attention off of me, made other people feel bad. And then that just translated into higher and higher stakes stuff, drinking, drugs, you name it, um, mm -hmm. until it hit kind of a breaking point. Uh, and I got kicked out of school and really had to kind of turn the spotlight inwards in ways that I had not wanted to do for so long. And the ironic part was that once I started to do that, once I started to really take the gloves off with myself and get honest with myself of who I was and who I was not and who I didn't want to try to be anymore because that's what I thought people wanted from me, that's when I started to grow and heal and really experience life in ways that I think are foundational and sustainable. So that's what drew me to psychology was my own stuff, frankly. And, um, through my own therapy and through getting into men's work and going on retreats and, and frankly, just talking about it, I have become a more embodied version of who I am today. And one, like a person that I'm proud of, like faults and all, it's almost because of those mm -hmm. faults that I am the man that I am today. Um, so, yeah. That's just so beautiful. So good. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for unpacking and just giving us more of your backstory as as kind of your growth as as a man. Um, we we mentioned that so you are a founding father of the fraternity, meaning yes. you were at the first event a couple of years ago, and you've gone to both of them. Yeah, so <laughs> and you've you've kind of touched on it, but I'm I'm curious to unpack it further. I mean, aside from Philip's charm and charisma and his flowing locks, like. <laughs> What would you say was your initial draw to kind of participate in that first weekend of going somewhere with seven other men that you'd never met yeah. and having a lot of fun, but also as you kind of touched on, like, you know, enjoying authentic connections and mm -hmm. having some, some more deeper conversations and just connecting as men. Totally. Um, so my, my two most important values to me are, authenticity and community. And so when Philip put out this invitation, those two values just dinged in my head of like, check, check. Uh, and I wanted, like I wanted the experience. Um, what I got out of it was just that. I mean, like I, I have come to, to learn that men so often lead quiet lives of desperation. There's that famous quote, we so often struggle and are not taught or we are not encouraged to be honest versions of ourselves. We are implicitly taught to be this kind of hyper-masculine, perfect, stoic breadwinner that can do anything that never screws up. Um, and that's just not reality. It's just truly not. Mm -hmm. And so when Philip invited me to do this weekend, I thought, okay, first of all, I know how much of a competitor Philip is. I, as an equal <laughs> competitor, could assume that we would be competing. Um, and competing is one of the ways that I play. 
to be honest. And so that was yeah. a huge part of it. And I also knew Philip personally. And so I knew that anything he had his fingerprints on was not just going to be competing. It was going to be competing. And then we're going to talk about real shit. We're not going to just talk about yeah. the weather. Um, and having right. facilitated retreats, having been on retreats where I have literally changed my life in kind of short but very intense pockets of time, a lot can happen on weekends like that. The walls break down when we witness other people take risks. It's it's contagious in like the best kind of way. Um, this person opens up, then that guy's like, yeah, me too. And then he opens up. And so we did that on that weekend and it it was so memorable um let alone it's like crazy fun so yeah i want to go back so i want to just kind of i love competition and here's one of the reasons because you can get a true picture of a person's character at times now not always but there's something about competing with somebody where you get to experience the highs and you also get to experience the lows. Oh, and yeah. for the right people, you can kind of get a glimpse of like, what does that look like? And is that the character of a person that I want to hang out with? Mm -hmm. So back to our spike ball, uh, memorable spike ball competition way back when, I can't even tell you when. There was times where Ian and I were like doubled over, ready to call it quits. And like watching Ian perform at a high level and the highs that were happening, the lows that were happening, but like looking in somebody's eyes. And honestly, yes. at this point, Ian and I probably talked three times in our life, like no joke, three times. And knowing that like we had this competitive nature where like both of us wanted to win, but we weren't accusing the other person of doing anything wrong. We were like both edifying each other to be like, let's be the best we can be. And from that moment on, I was like, I'm a huge Ian Nelson Johnson fan. Like mm -hmm. this guy is who he says he is through and through. And when times get tough, he won't fall victim. He'll take ownership and want to rally around people that will help him become better. And that's kind of the person I am, <laughs> like help me become better. And so when I was thinking about the individuals to come to this The Fraternity Weekend, Ian, you were the first one who was like, okay, if I could get him and I know he's busy it's going to be a good week. Weekend. Yeah. And sure enough, didn't we? Like We had a great experience with some kind of random kind of group of people. But at the end of that, the unity we had, because we had these experiences we were experiencing together for yes. literally the first time, it was so impactful. And then to be able to authentically talk about what's real and what's going on made it even more memorable. So mm -hmm. kudos to you, because I feel like you have always bred this authenticity that I just love even when you're having a bad day, like we don't all have good days. So if you're authentic enough to not even, to be honest and say, Hey, I'm having a rough day. Like that is even more attractive to more people than you ever think. And to me it is, and it always has been with you. So you could tell more about a person in an hour of play than a year of conversation. And that is like one of my yes. favorite quotes and Plato said it of all people. Like how, how like that Pleasure. it's just so it's true. so good dude it's so good yes. and philip and i proved that with each other within an hour of spiking together yeah <laughs> and i'll even you know edify that because i was able to go on the second fraternity weekend and i interacted with you i think one or two times mm -hmm. of course it was at a philip organized event <laughs> at his house i think it was just like a game night um, I know what it was. Remember when we did that uh, poll 
the uh, rope thing yeah. for my yes. birthday. Yo we birthday. had that competition. Yes, yeah. that was it. Yeah, yep. we also played some other games. So <laughs> I kind of I kind of knew you a little bit from that, Ian. But I wanted to kind of get your take on the second night of the second fraternity weekend when we had that dinner, and as a group of twelve guys, we were able to have a really good conversation. I mean, there were side conversations going on kind of initially, and you and I were actually sitting by each other at dinner. And uh, I know we got to have a good conversation, but I'd love to kind of get what your take was from that collective conversation as just men were opening up and and like sharing some really raw, real emotion Mm -hmm. at that dinner. Oh, man. It was was very life-giving for me to be a part of that meal. Um, what are my my takes? Uh, a, a couple things. One, there are one of the things I speak about a lot in my work, which I promise is like not morbid, but it, it just it hits home every time. There are five regrets that people who are dying, often in like hospice care, often have, um, and mm. they've done research on this. And one of the biggest ones is I wish I had more courage to express my feelings. So often I wouldn't do that. I wish I had talked more honestly about who I was and, or how I was feeling and not just placated people, right? Not just um, mm. said what I thought what people wanted to hear. So to witness people in a, in a more communal way, open up honestly about how they're feeling and to watch men wrestle with vulnerable emotions um, joy, sadness, grief, fear, and to do so from a place of like mutual respect, right? Like this is not the adolescent playground where we try to avoid tears at all times. This was like a group of adult men looking each other in the eye and being like, yeah, man, like we're with you. Me too. Like you are not alone. And it, I, I, I've heard this phrase before, um, and it's like a little twist on it in a healthy way of like learning how to cry like a man. Um, and mm-hmm. to me, crying like a man is like crying with your head up, not your head down. Right. And with your eyes open mm-hmm. and your shoulders wide open. Right. Because I'm here. I'm present. This is me. And not that it always has to like come no to shame. tears. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because I'm not I'm not ashamed of doing something, A, that is totally human and B, that is part of the human experience. So mm. that dinner to me was, I mean, special, sacred. Um, it, it had an imprint on me. Um, it was like we dropped a level deeper with each other. Like we got closer um, in a way that some people don't do after knowing each other for two years, let alone like two days. Right. right? So. Good. Right. I thought it was funny, uh, not funny, but I thought it was a really cool moment when the waiter, waitress, came back in the room and she's like, what the hell is this? Like in a good way, like this is what is happening here? You know, like I don't see a lot of 16 grown ass men in a room like having these authentic conversations, like, what is this? Yeah. And I remember her exact word, what the hell is this? Like in a very enduring way, yeah. I felt like. Are you guys lifelong friends? Oh, no, we've known each other for like 32 Two days. Yeah. <laughs> she was shocked, so, right? She was shocked. Yeah. Yes, right. And yep. it's sad that somebody like that is so shocked. 
Right. And I think for you, Ian, you're authentic all always. So, and it was kind of shocking for me, but it was good for me to take my, you know, take your step, like pull yourself back, look at it from a high level. It's just very unique and uncommon that something like this would happen. So, yeah. And, and as I touched on, like you and I sat next to each other at that dinner and I still remember, I mean, I don't remember like the transcript of our conversation, but I just remember us being able to talk. I learned more about your family and, and your work. Yeah. And, I think one of the one of the coolest aspects of that weekend for me was the very end of it when the the uh, eight original the founding fathers gave their one word to the recruits. Yeah, just that one word that I think spoke most highly of kind of the defining characteristic or trait right. that that um, it was impressed upon them and. I don't know if you remember the word that you gave me to put you on the spot. I don't expect you to remember it, but I remember it. Yeah, you do. And the word that you gave me was curious, mm-hmm. which I just really appreciated. Um, I think you said something just about our conversation at dinner and you know that I had a, was asking you questions in like a genuine way and was, was curious. And that is something that I try to bring to my relationships, just being appreciative and, mm-hmm. and, and curious of of everybody. But I just wanted to like, Thank you for that word because I don't know that I ever got to. Mm. And I would say if I were to give you a word, I'd probably say thoughtful. Mm. I just think you're someone, you strike me as like very thoughtful with the way that you listen and the way in the words that you choose. Mm. I just think that's like a really rare quality in this day and age. So, yeah. Thank you, brother, for saying that. And it, yeah. it means a lot to me. Um, I, yeah. I have become who I am today th- through that, like through being curious and through being thoughtful with myself, right? And mm. it means a lot, and it, it's affirming, yeah. I think, of, of who I am. So thank you. Yes, you're so, welcome. Cool. Thank you as well. Hey, this is Ryan taking a quick break from the episode to let you in on some exciting news. Registration for our live experiences is now open. We are offering three uncommon experiences, which include a 16-hour escape, a two-day Elevate Leadership Retreat, and our three-day Elite Leadership Adventure. Each experience will offer its own version of fun activities and competition with fellow uncommon men, as well as different levels of leadership skill building. You can go to theuncommon.com experiences to learn more and sign up. Once you register, we'll email your confirmation that includes our intake survey. Just answer the questions and you're on your way to enjoying an amazing experience that is tailor-made for you. Now, we do have a limit on the number of men that can participate in each experience, so sign up ASAP and take that next step on your uncommon journey today. Ian, how do you keep yourself mentally healthy in a profession where day in and day out, you're going through some really heavy things? I would love you to kind of just talk about how do you stay healthy? And then I think out of that, I think I want to start kind of portraying this to like, how do we, or how do we help other people in this? Like, obviously we don't have a license and we didn't do all the schooling and definitely didn't do any tests like you have, but Glee, give us some information one about yourself. And then also two, like, how do we stay healthy? And then how do we start like in interacting with others to be able to encourage them and like help them lift some, maybe some burdens off their, Wait, mm-hmm. whatever. Totally. Um, first of all, I'll I will share that what I do for me 
in my profession is is yes deeply important to me but i do think and it, i think it translates to anybody else so i might do it to like a different degree but that doesn't mean that you know whoever's listening to this mm-hmm. podcast or that somebody else off the street can't do that as well um even if they're not a psychologist or not seeing folks the way that i am so i'll make that disclaimer first but um how do i take care of myself i walk my talk that that to me is uh like paramount. What I mean by walking my talk is that if I'm going to invite people to sit across from me and tell me the stuff that they are most deeply struggling with, then you better be pretty damn sure I'm going to do the same on my own. Right? So like I I'm not going to do I'm not going to ask somebody to take that risk and not be willing to take that risk myself. That just doesn't feel um congruent to me. It doesn't feel authentic to me. So I do my own work. Well, and what do I mean by do my own work? Like I do my own therapy. I've been in therapy several times. Am I in it all the time? No. I don't think therapy is something that we should be in all the time. I think we should do it in chapters. Um, but you, like, you, again, you better be damn sure that I go back to the wheel when I need to. Um, it is so, I, I cannot plug this enough. It is so helpful to have an hour of undivided time from somebody else who doesn't have any biases, who doesn't have any like agenda for you. It's not your partner, it's not your friend, it's not your father or your mother, but a paid professional who's just there to listen and hear what's important to you. So to me, how I take care of myself and how I would deeply encourage people to consider taking care of themselves is to do therapy, to give it a shot. Mm. The worst thing that happens, you guys, is that like, you know what, this is not for me. And that's okay. Like therapy mm-hmm. doesn't need to be for everybody, but having spaces mm-hmm. where we can authentically be ourselves, no masks, no agendas, but just work on who we are and try to grow as a human being or as a partner, as a friend, as a son, as a father, whatever the case might be, like that is gold. So if there's anything mm-hmm. someone takes from today, it would be that have the courage to walk your talk and to work on yourself. Um, and we talk about like, how can we help others? I can only help someone as much as I'm willing to help myself. And I mean, that's kind of like a cheesy stereotype. You hear it on the airlines all the time of like, parents, please put your masks on before you put them on your children. Like, I get it. But when we, when it come like rubber hits the road, you guys, like it is true. Like truly that's my first, the second is related but a little different like we are only as sick as our secrets and so Mm. you guys like whether it is therapy whether it is a spiritual director whether it's a pastor whether it is your best friend um who a men's group whoever it might be when we don't share the shit that is holding us down that is weighing us down and find ways or healthy outlets to talk about that that just festers it metastasizes in us. Um, and so my my deep encouragement for us and what I've learned as a pillar for my own mental health is like, look, you guys, I need to talk about it. Um, I have a men's group that I go to every other week. I just mentioned therapy. I have a partner who I have really worked to create a healthy relationship with where we can support one another. Finding ways to let go of stuff that we have held on to, whether it's present or historically, 
is so important. Mm. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I could just keep saying your words, Flo. Keep saying your <laughs> words. I love it. No, thanks for for sharing that encouragement. I mean, that's important for everybody here. Even as you were talking, this idea of just kind of like preventative maintenance came to mind because I think mm-hmm. the temptation or the tendency of a lot of us is like, well, I'll do it. It's not that bad. Like, mm-hmm. And then we wait until mm-hmm. it's terrible. Right. And then it's maybe not too late, but it's it's worse than it should have been. Yeah. And so even kind of as we, as Phil and I talk about like the uncommon and our mission being to just create a space and a platform to exchange ideas and like resources for growth. And then from that, enjoy authenticity and community, like those core values you touched on doing that through like the live experiences, as well as like an online mastermind community. You know, what, what would you say, Ian, as a founding father, like what would your ideal kind of dream picture be for the uncommon, like moving forward into the future? Like, what would you love to see? Yeah, Great question. That is a really good question. What I love about the uncommon and just the idea of it is that I think it takes what we've been indoctrinated with in society or what we've learned maybe through school or movies or other agendas of how we we think we're supposed to be an adult or how we're supposed to be a man, and it turns it on its head. It turns it on its head. And so what I would love and what I would be honored and continue to be honored to be a part of as an organization, a group of men, a group of people who are committed to speaking truth, who are committed to being courageous and doing the hard thing and saying the hard thing to introducing the elephants in the room rather than just sweeping them under the rug, um, who breathe life into like, yeah, life is a struggle and there is light and there is darkness. And we can talk about both like in ample amounts and we don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to back down from that. In fact, it might be the very things that help us be healthier, right? Like these are not things that we have to run away from, but maybe even turn towards And so in so many of my conversations with the uncommon and the people who've gone through it, those have like, there've been examples of that, of like turning towards hard conversations, being curious, Mm -hmm. asking hard things of each other while also having a a wild amount of fun. Like we can do both. Mm -hmm. It's not either or. Yes. Right. So that's, that's my like two minute vision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what you just described is a Buffalo. Right. I don't know if you know anything about Buffalo, but when they see a storm, what do they do? They head towards the storm because they know, yes, they know that if they turn into it, they're going to be in the storm less than the people who are walking away from it, that you're going to be in that storm longer. I just love that analogy where, hey, we see the storm and we go towards it because we know what's going to happen on the other side of that storm is one, it's going to be sunnier and we're going to be way more appreciative, locking arms together, walking through this together. I just mm-hmm. love that whole analogy. Here's another thing too I want to talk about because I know a little bit more than I think some of our listeners will know, but I want to give you a platform to talk about Christina Nelson Johnson. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I just think like Ian wouldn't be where he's at today behind that microphone without Christina and I think just you two together, maybe she's uh, kind of more in the back skirts, but man, the things that, sh- that she does, I mean, you complement each other so well. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of time to just talk about your wife, 
how she has helped you, how, where are you guys both at? Just that whole kind of narrative. I just love it. Thank you for offering me this free platform to talk about my, my wonderful spouse. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I was texting her minutes, you guys, before I, I went on this. Um, and I had kind of been thinking about what I wanted to say and in, in the podcast. And I just felt this urge to like, I'm going to text Chris and I, I just message her being, you know what, like I am so grateful and proud of the life we're building together. Um, and the, the choices and the courage that we bring to our family and to ourselves individually, and then to the business that we run together. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I think about Chris, I mean, I think about my best friend, I think about my partner in life and in business. Um, Mm. I, it's such a privilege to, to have met somebody that, you know, of course we are so different people. She is an introvert. I'm an extrovert. We have a ton of differences and Mm. where we align are on the things that we hold most sacred. Um, which to me is so important in a lifelong partnership. Um, Uh So she values authenticity uh, just like I do. You know, she values her sense of community in ways that I do. Um, We both, we both value connecting to things that are bigger than ourselves and we push each other in, in imperfect, absolutely imperfect, but loving and supportive (laughs) ways. Uh, And, you know, any relationship long-term relationship, whether it's a marriage or not, but any relationship worth its weight and salt is going to have highs and lows. It is going to have periods that are super rocky. And that's just what life does to us, in my opinion. And Chris and I have really worked our butts off to A, acknowledge that that's going to happen and not try to go at our relationship from a place of like, it's going to be perfect but more so how can we stay engaged with each other and in relationship with each other and in communication with each other when shit hits the fan. Yeah. And wow, so dude, good. I have met my other half. Like I've met somebody as stubborn as I am um, to like have those conversations. And uh, to me, that's a privilege. It's a, it's a gift to walk this life with her knowing that we can talk about anything um, and really stay in the ring with each other. Oh, that's good. So good. Thank you for that time. I just think that's perfect. Here's what I would say to kind of close and kind of land the plane here. I know that getting into a therapist is not easy. And sometimes it's daunting just because they're so busy and the good ones are probably you know, like don't have any openings. Mm -hmm. So what are practical ways that somebody can go and try to find a a therapist that one that they will gel with and then the other one just get in, have time with? Yes. Can you speak into that? Because I know it's not easy. No. And honestly, thank you for speaking to it. Because I think there are a lot of hurdles, um, stigmas to starting therapy. And so like, let's talk about some of the pragmatics that can maybe lighten that burden or that, that risk. Um, first of all, the first suggestion I would be, I would make would be to ask, like, 
getting a a recommendation or an experience from someone who you know that has gone through therapy before you. So to me, a grassroots recommendation, hey, I know you did therapy back in, you know, 20, whatever. What was that like for you? Um, who did you see? Would you recommend them? And if you wouldn't, like, what did you not like about them? Like getting a sense of what their experience was. If we look hard enough, I can almost guarantee that we have either a friend or a family member who has done counseling, who has done some sort of therapy. Yeah. So like cast that net out to get a sense of people's experiences. And if they're local to you, ask who they saw and if they would recommend them. That's my first suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get that, like that might be a risk for people. Like, you might have to open up and say, hey, I'm thinking about this, but to me, like again, walking your talk, right? Like, if I need help, I'm I need to ask for it. I need to learn how to ask for it. The second is to use a resource. So, um, a lot of people who I see find me on a website called PsychologyToday.com, um, and essentially, it's like Google for therapists. Uh, it's a easy to use website. It, you plug in your zip code or your city or your town, um, and you get a whole bunch of therapists that populate. And the therapist will give you um, a brief bio, the insurance companies are credentialed with, and then a lot of the specializations that they have. They also include a photo oftentimes and a quick video. So for folks that, are, that feel like this is a daunting process, I feel like getting a quick bio and even just a photo of somebody can go a long way. Yeah, that's important. Like truly. So use that website and then just peruse like, hey, this guy seems like somebody I could talk to or this person really specializes in depression or trauma. And then you get to really hone in on two to three people who could be a good fit for you. That's good. I think that's my biggest takeaway for the listeners today. Like I, we just need to stay healthy. Like however this looks for you. And, and I would say sometimes I think some of the healthiest people I know are the people like, yeah, I'm in therapy. Like, yes. oh man, like there is some authenticity that's like, wow, that's healthy. And so my big like urge to the listeners, and usually we have kind of challenge to send this off is like, stay healthy. Like if you s- feel yourself slipping it's not a sign of weakness to just go talk to somebody. And I love your challenge, Ian. It's just like, just go talk to somebody and just see how you feel. Like if it works, if it doesn't, but go out and do it and like have action items to have, have this proactive health. Like you said, Ryan, I think it's so powerful in this day and age because it's so quick how you can feel great and all of a sudden not feel great. Bam. Why is that? Go do the work to figure that out. I think everybody around you will feel like I, you've put the mask on yourself first. Stay healthy. That's my challenge to the listeners. You've been listening to The Uncommon. Ian Nelson Johnson, thank you so much for your time. And I can't encourage you enough. You are in the right place. Thank you for all you do and how you impact the world. I appreciate you. Thanks, you guys. It's been a pleasure connecting today. Till next time, go get healthy. Thank you for listening to The Uncommon Podcast. If you have benefited from our show, I would ask you to follow, rate, and review and share our show. And be sure to check out our website at theuncommon.com where you can learn more about our mission, 
sign up for one of our live experiences, and take advantage of many resources that will empower you on your uncommon journey.